You're listening to Jump to Recipe, the show for busy people who love to cook. This is one of our older episodes from when we were called Time Management Insider. Back then, we focused on all kinds of time management for inside the home, not just cooking, except there was quite a bit of cooking back then too, because it was still me and I'm a little obsessed. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's jump in. This is Time Management Insider, a show where we share way too much information about meal planning and time management for inside the home. We are shaking things up this week. We are talking with Nico Vera of PiscoTrail.com about Peruvian cuisine, where it comes from, what the flavors are, and also a plant-based or vegan take on it because he is vegan. So it's really interesting. We're learning all about Peruvian flavors and recipes and also how to do it in a plant-based way if you want to go in that direction. It's super exciting. Now, the inspiration is coming from there, and I am taking on some of your chore work for the kitchen this week with some meal planning and grocery list making. So at the end of the show, after I talk with Nico, I'm coming back with a five-day meal plan. It does not have Peruvian food on it, but it does have some Southern flavors, really great new fun recipes for you to try. And the recipes are chosen to kind of work together. They're using some of the same ingredients, but there's a lot of variety. So you are not going to get bored. You get to focus on the cooking and the eating. And I've done a lot of the work for you. So first, we are going to talk to Nico Vera. I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. Hi, Christine. Doing good. How are you? I am great. And I'm super excited to be talking with you because you specialize in Peruvian food and a plant-based vegan take on it. So I think I have this opportunity with you here with me to learn about what Peruvian food is and I think also how to convert our traditional family recipes to vegan recipes if we want to. So I want to start by asking, what is Peruvian cuisine? Where does it come from? What are the influences? What kind of flavors are in there? I mean, I'm sure you could talk about this forever, but give us a starting point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Peruvian cuisine is a multicultural fusion that has evolved over more than 500 years. Now, the base is indigenous. We have the indigenous people, the Inca from Peru, but then we have colonial influences from Europe and Spain, and then African influence because of slavery and then indentured servants and immigrants from China and Japan. All that came together in Peru since the 1400s, 1500s, right? Mm-hmm. So all that has made comida criolla, creole food, especially in Lima and the coast. But to really taste Peru, you have to travel across what we call the vertical ecology. So if you start on the coast, you're at sea level and you have the creole food. But then you travel eastward to the Andes Mountains at high elevations. Cusco, the former capital of the Inca Empire, is at 10,000 feet elevation. Here we have totally different foods. We have 
the foods of the ancestors of the indigenous people, they cultivated crops that are potato, quinoa, they have tomatoes, corn, hot peppers, and wild herbs. So the food there is very different. They dehydrate the potatoes to give a shelf life of 10 years, and then they can make reconstitute it and make a stew from that. They cook corn in many different ways. So it's very plant forward when you think about it. And that's something that I discovered about my ancestors is that they actually cooked with a lot of plants. Meats and animal protein was reserved for special occasions. Then if you continue going eastward, you descend into the Amazon jungle. And there the food is also very different. A lot of fruits, a lot of river fish, for example. So you have this biodiversity and vertical ecology that really informs dishes in very different regions. So depending on where you are, you can eat very, very different food all around Peru. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. Oh, I want to know. So what are some examples of something that you would find in the first region near Lima you were talking about there? Right. So Lima, because it's right on the coast, has a lot of seafood, right? And a classic dish from Lima is ceviche. Mm -hmm. Now, ceviche is traditionally fish that is uh, cut into pieces and cured with salt, lime juice, hot peppers, and maybe onions. Very simple. Mm. But it turns out that ceviche was first cooked by our Inca ancestors. So they, they got fish. There was no citrus because there or no lime juice because that was brought by the Spanish colonizers. They used different citrus from the mountains and from the Amazon to cure fish over a long period of time. Then you have the Japanese immigrants that became established in Lima. They have a Nikkei culture, Nisei people, and they brought a different aesthetic to the cooking of ceviche. They would marinate it quickly with the lime juice. They would cook it really quickly and they serve it almost raw. So it, sometimes it's also cut like sashimi and they're served as a tiradito. So the very strong Japanese influence in that type of cooking and it totally transforms ceviche. So ceviche is one dish that is very, very typical of the coast. Oh, that's fascinating. And you mentioned Japan, but I am looking. So you have a cookbook that you are putting together, and some of it is available online for us to look at. And on there, there's a Chinese-Peruvian fried rice. So is there Chinese influence uh, on the cuisine in that in that region as well? Absolutely, yeah. So indentured servants from from the canton region arrived in peru more than 100 years ago so there's a very large chinatown in lima all of the americans have large chinese immigrant immigrant populations so they have you know chinatowns from vancouver canada to mexico to santiago and then down to to lima and so on right uh and then in the united states of course the east coast and west coast and the midwest but in Lima, we have a very, very large Chinese population. And at first, this was mostly street food until the locals discovered it, right? And chifa, I believe, is a Cantonese word that means to eat or to eat rice. And it took off. People started going to these restaurants in Chinatown that are still around today. One street in Lima, Calle Capon. And the culture is so strong that if you go to a supermarket in Lima today, uh, and you want to buy, say, ginger or soy sauce, in Spanish, ginger is jengibre. In all of Latin America, ginger is jengibre. But in Peru, we call it guion. And guion is the Cantonese word for ginger. We don't use the Spanish word. We use the Cantonese word. And same with soy sauce. We don't call it salsa de siao. 
we just call it xiao, and that's the Cantonese word for soy sauce. So it's a very, very strong influence. It's like the comfort food for all Limeños, for all people from Lima. And it's mesmerizing. There are thousands and thousands of chifa, Chinese Peruvian restaurants all across Lima, and then more in, in the rest of the country as well. Wow. So, okay. So thank you. And that's amazing. And I, I, now I just want to go to Lima and eat Chinese food, which is <laughs> not what I expected. I would be thinking is a Chinese Peruvian fried rice or the sorts of dishes. Are they different in Peru than they would be in like, well, American restaurants or in China? Like, is there this mishmashing putting together of cultures there in the food? Yeah, exactly. So when you think about it, an immigrant from Canton region from China arrives in Peru. And they might bring some ingredients with, with them, right? Soy sauce, ginger. But then they also start looking at local ingredients. They say, oh, wow, we have hot peppers here too that are native to Peru. Maybe we don't have the traditional thickener that we used for sauces, but in Peru they have chuño, which is a de- dehydrated potato. And if you grate that, then you have a fine powder. There's a lot like a starch, right? Mm-hmm. So you started incorporating these local ingredients. And the Chinatown in Lima is right next to the large produce market in Lima, Mercado Central, the central market. So it was almost like a perfect culinary storm to have Chinatown and this large market and all these produce all in the same place. That's where magic happens. You know, there's a dish called Lomo Saltado, which is traditionally a beef stir fry with strips of beef strips of onions, strips of tomatoes, and French fries, all in a wok, cooked in a wok, so high heat, with oil and ginger and soy sauce and hot peppers. Wow. So to me, that's <laughs> emblematic of this chifa food, right? So I cook a dish like that, and all I have to do is replace the animal protein with a, a vegan substitute, and it all the flavors are there. So I was going to transition to a vegan cooking in a moment, and you've just done this for me. So you have become vegan in the last few years and are exploring how to make Peruvian food plant-based and vegan. And so you do use sometimes the vegan meat substitutes. Can you maybe talk about your philosophy on that? Yeah, absolutely. So when, when I turned vegan, I had to ponder an important question, and is that what will happen if I don't no longer eat the food uh, that I grew up with, right? Mm-hmm. For me, food for most of my life has been a strong part of my identity. And for a lot of Latinx people, food is a strong part of cultural identity. I think actually that's true for almost anybody anywhere, right? You identify with the food that you eat. So I wondered what's going to happen to my identity if I no longer eat or cook the food that I grew up with, the food mm-hmm. that I learned from my, from my mom, the traditional Creole, comida criolla from Lima, right? Mm-hmm. Like this lomo saltado or this ceviche or other stews, dishes, what's going to happen? So I started doing some research and that's when I discovered that my ancestors were largely uh, plant-based, very plant-forward with the potato and the quinoa and the corn and the hot peppers. But then I started thinking, well, so colonization brought these new ingredients like lime juice, rice, right? And, and those are fantastic ingredients that I love to cook with on a regular basis. So I didn't want to give that up. But if I can somehow still keep the flavors, keep the history, keep the story, and maybe only switch one or two ingredients, then I think it's still proven in essence, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what I've been striving to do. And so, for example, there's a dish called 
escabeche. Now, escabeche is, can be made with, with lots of different ingredients, but one typical escabeche from Lima is a fried fish escabeche. So you fry the fish, you coat it in flour, maybe some breadcrumbs, pan fry it, and then you let it rest on a pickling sauce. Now, it's a sauce with uh, a stock and vinegar and hot peppers and maybe some some honey or some sugar. So sweet and sour and mm. spicy, right? And vegetables in there as well. And you combine everything and you actually serve it at room temperature or even cold. It's not a hot dish. And there's uh, lots of products on the market now that look and taste just like fish. So that's a very easy substitution. You buy this frozen fish-like protein, maybe tofu, put it in the oven, make the sauce apart, and then combine it, and you're done. And I served that to my parents, who, who are not vegan, recently, and they were mesmerized. They couldn't even tell the difference. You know, all the flavor, that umami of the seafood can be recreated with seaweed, right? So that umami and that sea ocean taste is there, the texture is there, and, and you don't miss the actual ingredient, right? So that's that one easy approach that I think can work. Mm -hmm. But there's not always the exact vegan meat substitute in the market for something, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, one of my absolute favorite dishes growing up is a stew called ají de gallina. And it's a pulled chicken stew with hot peppers and stock and thick with some dairy and shredded cheese. And it is divine, right? And there is no pulled chicken vegan meat that you can buy at the market. And that's not necessarily the approach you want to take anyway. So what can you do? What resembles a pulled meat, right? And there's a lot of vegan cooks and chefs that I've connected with over the years. Uh, some, for example, from Mexico, you know, they, they face this dilemma when they want to recreate tacos that are a pulled pork tacos with a, a vegan substitute. Vegan meat alternative, and a lot of them gravitated to mushrooms. Right, mushrooms have that meaty texture. They have a lot of umami, a lot of flavor, and if you put the right marinade, then you have all the rich, rich ingredients and taste that resembles the original, perhaps. Right. Mm -hmm. So, this is a dish I'm still experimenting with. I think mushrooms is a great option. I'm a big fan of cooking with chickpeas. I've mm -hmm. used chickpeas in a lot of different stews. There's a stew called a carapulcra which is a dehydrated potato stew. So the potato, when it's dehydrated, it looks like little crystal ambers, little chunks of crystal ambers that they have to soak in water and then make into a stew. And usually people add like uh, chicken or pork or something like that. But I cook that dish with uh, chickpeas. And just like in the original, I start with dry chickpeas instead of dry potatoes. And I toast them on the stovetop and then I cook them. So it's got a smoky flavor. And the chickpeas are all protein. So I can serve them with rice, with a salad, with whatever I want. I love that. I think I think it's it's nice to hear how there's a place for some of the more processed vegan alternatives and then ways of not using them also. So when you really are craving, if you're somebody who wants to do more plant-based cooking and you're worried about missing those flavors or textures in those traditional dishes that are part of your identity and part of who you are, that there are ways to do it and that you don't necessarily have to feel, some people feel a lot of guilt about that. And so it's lovely to know that you're, you're out there and you're saying, go for it when, when you really want that sort of thing. I want to know, so 
if somebody is wanting to introduce some Peruvian flavors into their own kitchen, their weeknights, just to, you know, give some new flair to things and try a plant-based dish, where would you recommend that they start? What's a good, like, weeknight Peruvian plant-based kind of meal? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I think there's a lot of places you can start. One one dish that I enjoy cooking is taku-taku. And taku-taku is essentially a rice and beans fritter, right? And the idea with taku-taku is that it's made from leftovers. So if you have leftovers rice and then leftover beans or lentils or something like that, you can uh, quickly saute some onions and add some hot peppers. If you can get the hot peppers from Peru, they come as a paste form, ají amarillo. If not, you can use, I would say, almost any other hot pepper. You can chop some fresh hot peppers like jalapeno, or if you have a favorite hot sauce, then you can add that as well. But the idea is to create a sofrito, an adreso, a saute of onions with spices like cumin, oregano, and this hot pepper. And then you mix in the rice and the beans all mashed in into a skillet that you can shape into a fritter, right? Mm. And that's something that you can top uh, maybe with additional protein or with some veggies like pickled onions, some cilantro, a little bit of olive oil. So it's, it's got proteins, it's crispy, really tasty and a little spicy. I am going to make sure that we link to that recipe. I know that it is on your site, the Taku Taku. And also you did one on Food 52 and I know people love Food 52. So that is nice to know that it's in both of those places. So just to, I just want to clarify. So you're basically, is it the the bean or the lentil that is the the thing that's holding that fritter together? Because there's no egg or anything like that in there. It, it's just the bean. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So you mash everything together. So that that's what holds it together. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah. And then the, can you, do they do, I, I think I've had this in a restaurant before, but it wasn't a flat fritter. It was a different shape. Does that sound possible? Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of different ways that you can serve the taku taku. I've seen some restaurants serve it. It almost looks like uh like a football, like an American football, right? Yes. So that's what like, I had. Yeah. Like an like ellipsoid. So what the technique there is a little bit more involved, but it could be a lot of fun to try. You actually use a wok to do that. So you put all the ingredients in a wok and you start tossing it until it naturally forms into a sphere and an ellipsoid. And then you have that shape. Wow. So a little bit, a little bit more technique involved, but for starters, I would do just like a flat fritter, like a pancake. <laughs> yeah. Start, start easy. And then if you love it, you can, you can explore and make it, make it your weekend cooking project instead of your weeknight meal. What did you have other ideas for like quick little ways that we can add some Peruvian flavors, either dishes or just ingredients we can try? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the escabeche is another, this, this pickling this is combining sweet and sour. Mm -hmm. The arroz chaufa is the Peruvian fried rice dish. But for the summer, there's a couple of dishes that I really enjoy. One of them is palta rellena. So palta rellena means stuffed avocado, right? Oh. So avocados are really interesting because they're originally from, from Mesoamerica, right? From Mexico. And colonial foodways took the avocado to different places, to California, to New Orleans, to the Caribbean, to Peru and all the way to, to West Africa. And all these cultures have different ways to maybe slice the avocado in half, pit it, and then 
put a filling in that cavity, right? Yes. So in New Orleans, for example, it's a lot of a lot of shrimp, right? In Peru, it's usually done with essentially a tuna salad. And so when I was growing up, this was a very popular dish that my mom made that we had in the summers that we would have as an appetizer at restaurants. And I thought stuffed avocados were from Peru because it was that popular until I realized, wow, other cultures <laughs> have this dish too. And so an easy way to make it vegan is instead of tuna, use chickpeas. You mash, so you open a can of chickpeas or cooked chickpeas and you mash the chickpeas and mix in some chopped onions, some chopped celery and a vegan mayonnaise and some salt. And it is amazing how much it tastes like like a canned tuna when you put it all together mm. like that, right? A little bit of parsley and that's, that's the topping for the avocado. So it's a fresh salad that's got protein, it's got healthy fats from the avocado I mean, it's a great dish. It's a great summer dish. I, I I love that. And you, I did not realize that this the stuffed avocado came from this history. I the first time that I had something like that was in England. My ex husband is British, so we spent a lot of time there. And it's like a classic retro 1970s appetizer to take an avocado and fill it with something like a shrimp cocktail. It's like a creamy yes. pink sauce instead. And I yes. thought it was so like this British thing. And now it's actually, <laughs> it's it's from from South America, from Mesoamerica. That's amazing. I love that. Also, yeah. the, the flavor, like you're describing that and I'm, I'm feeling like it's like what you've done is it's almost like a hummus kind of feel to it. And then with the, the avocado. And I love when I, and this is something that I do. If there's like a whole bunch of dips out, I love hummus and guacamole together. Like they, that sort of like this wonderful flavor. So I can kind of see how those would yes. really work together in, in that way. It's, it's a fantastic pairing, exactly how you say. Absolutely. Yeah. A nice tip I would say, and also something that I try to always do. If I if I cook with dry beans, like in this kind of focus too, that's one approach. But once in a while, something very easy is to just open a can of cooked beans but I always save, save, I always save, after opening the can of cooked beans, I always save the aquafaba. The aquafaba is the water from the can of chickpeas, right? Mm-hmm. And so that has a lot of fantastic uses for vegan recipes. And my favorite is to make a pisco sour cocktail. Right? Oh, because so, it usually has egg in it, right? Right. So oh, pisco yeah. sour is the national drink of Peru, right? It's been around for a long time since the 1920s, and the traditional recipe calls for pisco, which is a grape brandy from Peru, some lime juice, some syrup, and egg whites. And you can either shake it or even put it in a blender. So all I need to do is swap the egg whites mm-hmm. and use the aquafaba. I put it in a blender, and it is absolute frothy and delicious. That is amazing. So, <laughs> yeah. So always, always save the aquafaba. I always have some aquafaba in the fridge just in case I, it's a nice warm day and I want a piece of sour. I think you can freeze it too, right? Like in ice cube trays. And will it still froth like that for the drink? I haven't tried it. I always use it sooner than that, but mm-hmm. I think it might. Yeah. Yeah, this is wonderful. I, I had never, I never realized that if you were vegan, you couldn't have a pisco sour anymore. And now that it was like problem came, problem solved <laughs> right gotcha. away. Oh, Nico, this has been wonderful. I love learning about Peruvian cuisine from you. Can you let people know where they can find you online if they have any questions or they want to follow your journey? Check out the beginnings of your cookbook, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a blog. It's called 
PiscoTrail.com, just like the drink, P-I-S-C-O-T-R-A-I-L.com. And so there I have a little bit about myself, a list of recipes that have been published in different magazines and publications. I have a list of articles that I've published and a page about the cookbook that I'm developing. I'm still looking for a publisher, but I have sample recipes there for a lot of the dishes that we talked about. So besides my website, I also have Instagram. So it's the handle is at Pisco Trail. Mm-hmm. And I share photos from recipes, sometimes photos of, of what I'm cooking at home or what I enjoyed at a food truck. And then I'm also something new that I really enjoy doing. I have a Substack newsletter. So that's a new newsletter platform. And it's also PiscoTrail.substack.com. And here it gives me a chance to write a little bit more outside of what I would write, say, for a magazine or a food publication. Mm-hmm. So the handle is Pisco Trail, but I call the newsletter La Yapa. And Yapa, Y-A-P-A, is a Quechua word from my ancestors, and it means a little extra something, like a baker's dozen, right? Ah. So when you go to the markets in the Andes Mountains of Peru, I might be getting something from, from a vendor, and they might throw it a little something extra, and they might say, La Yapa, La Yapa, right? The little extra for you, right? oh. a gift. So to me, La Yapa is the gift that I, I give to to readers, to people who want to learn more about proven culture. I would maybe talk a little bit about behind the scenes of a story that I wrote for a certain publication, but now I want to dive a little deeper or personal thoughts on what it means to be vegan, what it means to uh, be challenged by identity and culture, maybe some travel stories. Uh, hopefully in the future, I'll get to interview some people and, and show them in, in my newsletter. But it's a, a wonderful way for me to express myself outside of the traditional publications that I have, like Yapa, the little extra something from Peru. Oh, I love that. I will make sure that there are links to the newsletter subscription page and all the recipes that you've talked about today that are on your site so people can find them. Those will be in the show notes. Thank you so much, Nico. This has been really inspiring. Oh, thank you. Real pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Wasn't that fantastic? I just want to try all kinds of Peruvian food now. And I really loved that Peruvian concept of the baker's dozen La Yapa and Nico's newsletter. I have signed up. I hope you will too. Head to his website, PiscoTrail.com, P-I-S-C-O-T-R-A-I-L.com. And you can sign up for La Yapa there and check out all the amazing things that Nico's been doing. And now we are moving to the meal plan for this week week. This is a five-day meal plan with recipes that are chosen because they have some of the same ingredients so that your grocery list stays a little shorter. But at the same time, there's lots of variety and you can get both the meal plan and the links to the recipes, as well as also the printable grocery list that goes with it. If you head to cookthestory.com slash meal plans, and then you're going to click on meal plan number 89. So let's dive into this meal plan. You are starting with sopa de lima. It has the word lima in it, but it is not referring to the lima of Peru. It is the Spanish word for lime. This is Mexican lime soup. 
and you're going to top that with some diced avocado and tomatoes. It's got cinnamon and cloves and lime juice in there. It's a traditional Mexican soup. It's just really interesting. Not the kind of flavors that we often think of in the United States when we're doing like our Tex-Mex kind of food. Really, really lovely. I'm going to say use jalapeno instead of the habanero that's called for just because we need jalapeno in something else later. So just one less thing to buy. You know what I mean? On the second day of this meal plan, you're doing my take on Gallo Pinto, which is a Costa Rican dish. In this one, you're switching it up a little and you're putting chickpeas in there. I should have said, actually, the Sopa de Lima recipe on the day one, it had chicken thighs in it. But if you wanted to use beans or tofu as the protein in there, that would work. And then this Gallo Pinto recipe is vegetarian. It has chickpeas in it and no no meat protein, but it is topped with fried eggs as a bonus if you want to. I absolutely love when I top this with the egg and the runny yolk drizzle all down over the rice. It is amazing. And yeah, it's a rice and bean dish from Costa Rica. Really fun. And then on the third day of this recipe, we're having some shrimp ceviche. So, so good. So much flavor. I know you're going to love this. And it was inspired to be on this meal plan because Nico did such a great job of talking about the ceviche in Peru. This is not exactly the Peruvian version he was talking about, but it is still ceviche and it is lovely. Have that with some garlic toast. You can even like pile the ceviche onto the toast, eat it. Really fun, really tasty, fresh flavors. That on the fourth day of this meal plan, we are doing the no-boil feta pasta bake. This is that one that's inspired by that TikTok viral video, except that we're doing the pasta in the oven too. It works out really, really well. The pasta cooks perfectly. There's feta, there's tomatoes. Really delicious. You stir it all up and I can't stop eating it when I have it. You're going to have that with a veggie mixture on the side, uncooked vegetables, some of the other vegetables that are showing up in some of the other days so that we're making use of them. So it's going to be some shredded carrot, some bell pepper chopped up, cucumbers chopped up, red onion, and then you're going to mix up some lemon juice, dried oregano, oil, minced garlic, and salt as the dressing. Let that sit for, oh, at least 10 minutes before eating it, and it's just going to have that flavor go through. It's going to soften up the vegetables a little bit. Really, really nice. Then on our last day of this meal plan, we're doing banh mi tacos. So this is like the classic Vietnamese banh mi kind of sandwich, except we're doing it in a taco. I will say the recipe calls for Vidalia onions, but you can use any kind of sweet onion. That's going to work just fine. Okay, that is this meal plan. Head to cookthestory.com slash meal plans and click on number 89 to get all the links and everything you need for that chore part of your cooking week, taking care of you, meal planning done, grocery list done, move on to the joy and the fun of cooking and eating. And that is our show for the week. Thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying this show, I would love it if you could tell a friend or tell two friends. Leaving a rating and review also really helps us get found by other people, gives them a little convincing to listen to the show. I'd really appreciate that also. I want to say a huge thank you to Nico, such an inspiring and wonderful guest. Definitely check out PiscoTrail.com and sign up for La Yapa, that little bonus extra. So fun. Thank you to Caroline Hall and our team at Wild Home Podcasting for producing this episode. And as always, thank you to Audio Snack for all the great music. Have a wonderful and delicious week. <laughs>